When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to The Federal Drive with Tom Temin here on Federal News Network. Prison time, restitution, lifetime debarment, loss of your company. That's what can happen if you bribe a federal contracting official, as one contractor recently found out. Federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen joins me with a recap. And I guess these types of stories always do amaze and horrify us because, for the most part, it doesn't happen that much in the American system. We're not Afghanistan, but still, it does happen from time to time, and the lessons learned are worth reviewing. Tom, they are lessons worth reviewing, and the thing that surprises me on one hand but not on the other is that companies keep doing this. People keep doing this, even though the downsides of what can happen to you are well-documented, and there are plenty of people who you can visit in prison or who just got out of prison for violating the terms of their federal contracts. And yet we continue to see companies and people who work for those companies who think, well, it can't happen to me. Well, it does happen to you. And this case I'm talking about was a HUD contractor that spent a lot of money, over $150,000 at least, bribing two different HUD officials for getting inside information on upcoming contracts. Think about that. What happened to the contractor is they got caught, they got sent to jail for 14 months, their company was put in jeopardy. And one of the great ironies is that the officials could have spent that $150,000 to improve their market intelligence, hire some outside business development help, improve a process internally. They could have gotten them just as competitive over the long term as the money they put together on bribes, and then they would still be here free to pursue a life of government contracting. And did anything happen to the HUD employees? That is a little less clear. Uh, what we were able to tell, Tom, is that they were reassigned. In one case, one worker seems to have been terminated. So there's a downside for feds here, too. Federal employees have ethics training that they're supposed to take at least once a year. And yet people being people, they like the handbags, they like the free sports tickets. It's always sports tickets, Tom. Even in Washington, D.C., where you have to question yourself sometimes why you'd want to pay money to go see a Washington sports team. That always seems to trip people up. So if you're a Fed, my advice to you is to listen to that ethics training. Do you really want to get that midfield ticket to go see the Washington football team? I mean, maybe, maybe not, but you know, there's going to be a serious downside risk to that if you get caught. Plus, you could be bored to death watching the game, too, and that's even worse. <laughs> bored to death, you have to pay a mint for parking, pay a mint for your concessions. So it's something you got to think through. But yes, this does happen from time to time. I think the Navy's 7th Fleet is still trying to rebuild in some sense after the Fat Leonard scandal, which was bribery on an enormous scale. And I think those cases happen rarely, but when they do, they really do stupefy. That was on an enormous scale, and it went on for a number of years and had a lot of people that participated in it because of the duration. And certainly... It's unadvisable to take bribes, to seek bribes if you're a government employee, to offer bribes if you're a government contractor. But you, know, you also have to know that the wider the circle you make it of people who are involved, the more likely it is you're going to get caught. And that's exactly what happened in the Fat Leonard scandal. 
And I've always thought that ethics training is not needed by the ethical and not heeded by the unethical. But nevertheless, the government does need to offer it, and they do. We're speaking with Larry Allen, the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And moving to some more practical and widespread concerns, there is a bill now to go up to $3 billion from $1 billion for the IT Modernization Fund. This coming from Jerry Connolly of Northern Virginia. What's the chances of that? And golly, would the agencies be able to use it all? How much money can they absorb? Yeah, well, Tom, I think, you know, there's good news about this provision, and then there's some questionable news about this provision. The good news is that this bill would provide a billion dollars in new funding for the tech modernization fund. It would also provide $2 billion for a fund controlled by GSA for new technology initiatives, non-traditional contractor type stuff things that would actually also potentially go into enhancing the FedRAMP program or other programs like it. That's great. You know, the Technology Modernization Fund, as you know, Tom, is very popular with government agencies and contractors. And one of the main issues has been making sure it had proper funding. So Mr. Connolly's bill uh, for that that's been attached to the House version of the budget reconciliation measure, that's a positive step. But wait, there's more. As we know from looking at the national news reports, there's a lot of concern about the fate of the budget reconciliation bill. This is a $3.5 trillion spending bill that is being hooked up with other bills in a sequence. So passing this bill is really going to be like threading the eye of a needle, Tom. Fraught with danger, not entirely sure that the entire bill will be passed or that any of it would be passed. So we're really going to have to watch that space. And if there were $3 billion available for the Technology Modernization Fund, maybe they'll do it by some other funding mechanism. But that kind of money is, in one sense, if you look at it, it's only about 3% more than the government is spending on IT generally now, about $100 billion. It's a big ticket item. So $3 billion only adds 3%. But on the other hand, the specificity of what it's to be used for means that it's maybe not as widely sought across the government as just the regular appropriations. Well, you see agencies really competing for that money, Tom. They do have to put together a business case. The business case has to show specifically what type of modernization you're going to pursue and the expected benefits that your agency is going to accrue. Depending on the project, you may have to put together a plan on how you're going to repay that money. It used to be that all tech modernization money had to be repaid. Congress loosened those rules about a year ago, so not all of it has to be 100% recoverable. But the idea is the tech modernization fund is supposed to be a revolving fund where agencies use the money, they improve their activities, and they pay the fund back over the savings that they realized over a period of time so that another agency can do modernization. And I'm not sure if all of the projects uh, that are being created for this apply, but certainly overall, we know that modernization and technology in the federal government is a huge priority. We still have legacy systems that date back you know, 30 years to when IT was in its infancy and I had hair. So as you say, whether it gets through this bill or some other mechanism, hopefully this type of legislation will see the light of day. 
well, you can modernize technology. I don't know whether we can grow the hair back on the top of your head. <laughs> that might be a different fund. And, of course, that $3 billion, wouldn't it be ironic if that passed, but regular appropriations did not pass in time, which they are likely not. So I imagine you are now giving the really last, 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 last-minute advice to your clients on CR. That's exactly right, Tom. What I'm telling my clients is to expect a government shutdown. I think there's a slightly better than 50-50 chance we'll have a shutdown, whether it's over the CR, which the administration wants to add some goodies to, some of which I think would be supported, but not all. That's going to take place inside of a debt ceiling vote because we're going to have to increase the debt ceiling right around the start of the fiscal year. There aren't votes for that in the Senate. So it's going to be, I think, a very bumpy ride as we go into FY22. And contractors and their government counterparts should buckle up. Well, we can't count on the Taliban to bail us out on that front. Larry Uh, Allen is president of Atlan Federal Business Partners. Thanks so much. Tom, thank you. And I wish our listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. 57 past the hour. This is The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. For the latest updates, stay with federalnewsnetwork.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Up next, the top national headlines from CBS News and The Federal Newscast. I'm Tom Temin. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.